Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce our guest on today's podcast, just some housekeeping things. I sometimes plug a few things. Um, I want to plug a Facebook group we have. It's called LGBTQ and Allies in Ward Stakes and Missions. Facebook group has about 2,400 Latter-day Saints, and they're just people that are trying to put together church-sponsored content. Um, and their ward stakes, institute missions, and people are brainstorming and sharing what they're doing and what's working and content. A lot of people are trying to start from scratch in their ward and stake. It's just a way to have a community of people that are trying to um, put together this kind of content. So that, once again, is called LGBTQ and Allies in Ward Stakes and Missions. I'll link to it in the show notes of this podcast, or you can just type that in, search it on Facebook. Also, I've written a book called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, that's a way to learn more about this subject. And if you have time, I encourage you to leave a review for that book at Desert Book and at Amazon. That would help just more people connect to the book. Um, you can't donate to the podcast. So there's no um, don't way to donate, but those are things that you can support. But the reason this podcast works is because of the people that step forward and share their stories. And one of those is here today, Barry Donaghy, who's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, By way of introduction, Gary, Barry, sorry, um, went to Timpanogos High School in Salt Lake in, sorry, Utah County, graduated in 2016, served a mission in Washington. Washington, Yakima. I knew I was going to get that wrong, Barry. Speaking Spanish, he's an English and Spanish major. Is that right? Correct. He's a senior. He's looking possibly for um, forward to MBA school at some point. He's acting in the church. He's a temple worker. He's sharing his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And I wanted to read um, his Facebook post that um, maybe that's how I found. Somebody sent, probably sent me this Facebook post. And I'll read a little bit up, up a little bit of it um, that he shared in June of 2021. And I like your way you're just kind of factual here, Barry. Many of you know, and many of you more aren't aware, I am gay. My experience as a gay member of the Church of Jesus Christ is something I've come to deeply treasure. However, that always wasn't the case. Growing up, I felt like I was the only closeted gay member in the entire church, and I wondered how I could ever belong. Despite having an incredibly supportive family, I told no one for years. I kept this part of my identity buried and prayed that it would just go away. As I loved to joke with my family, I basically got in a lot of fights with God and lost every single one of them. Over time, my prayers changed. I prayed to understand. I began to ask God questions and listen rather than telling him what I wanted. Eventually, the shame, fear, and negative internal dialogue that were all too familiar to me, were replaced. Sorry, Barry, this is really good. By hope, trust, and confidence. Even more, when I did start coming out last year, I was shocked to learn that only does the LDS, LGBT community exist, but it's alive and vibrant. Resources are available, and he goes in to talk more about that. Just a terrific coming out post. And then I was Facebook stalking Barry before he came here and learned he's a hiker. He's hiked some big mountains, like the biggest mountains in 
the United States. Um, but I also loved what your father, Ed, said to you in a birthday shout out. Barry Donachey, my son, an example. Bear, that's your nickname, obviously, has lived the gospel of Jesus Christ his entire life. I not only love him, I like him, respect him, proud of him, appreciate him, and so much more. Happy birthday. So that's just a little bit of background about Barry before you hear him firsthand tell a story. And with that, unless there's anything I've said you need to correct from a bio. No, we're doing good. We'll turn and and I'd love to just talk to you about hiking, but we'll stay focused on your story. So I'll, I'll just start with, when did you know, Barry? That is a great question. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for the introduction as well. Um, I would say that I, I knew or started to know when I was 11 or 12 years old. It was sort of that stage in elementary school when all of the friends are starting to have their first crushes. And as I was looking around, I sort of noticed I wasn't attracted to any of the girls in my school. And as time went on, you know, through junior high and high school, it it became more obvious that I just wasn't attracted to girls around me. Um, But I sort of was able to use our LDS um, standards or or culture as a way of, you know, postponing my day of reckoning, if you will. So at first it was, well, I don't have to worry about dating, though, because I won't do that till I'm 16. And then when I turned 16, it was, well, but I don't have to worry about dating seriously until after I get back from my mission. And so for a long time, it was just sort of this pushing it back and pushing it back. And then when I got home from my mission, I dated a lot. Um, I was set up with, with girls on dates and asked out waitresses and cashiers and, and friends and friends of friends and, and just went on lots of dates. And there was still just nothing there. I really enjoyed first and second dates because I loved getting to know new people and I loved the experiences that we had, but it was more, I enjoyed hanging out with them. There was just no romantic interest there. And so that sort of changed in about September of, of 2020. And it was actually, this is where you come into the story and you don't know this yet, but I had come out at this point to my mission president while I was on the mission and my parents and as well as a few bishops. But each time I came out to them, it was this, I struggle with same-sex attraction and it was, it was sort of a formality. I was letting them know, but I was not opening the door to the conversation. This was a phase, this was gonna go away. And so I was not concerned about talking about it with them. I didn't wanna go into it. And after I had been home for just over two years um, in 2020, when I was rooming with a good friend. He went on a morning run and he listened to a podcast that day. And that, I believe it was your interview with Kurt, Kurt Frankham for the Leading Saints LGBT Saint Summit. And he came back from his run and he said, I just listened to this podcast. What an interesting concept, LGBT members of the church. I mean, how, how do we reconcile this? How do we deal with this? And I sort of nodded politely as he was talking about it and sharing his thoughts. And I was sitting in my bed, my phone was charging on my desk. As soon as he left the room, I just lunged across and I picked up my phone and I listened to that podcast and I ended up listening to three or four more podcasts that same day. And that was the first time that it really hit me like, oh my goodness, I am not alone. 
I'm not the only person experiencing this. And up to that point, I had read Tom Christofferson's book that we maybe want, and it was a phenomenal book. Uh, but there were just a lot of things that I considered different between our experiences and, and also just our generations. And so there wasn't, I didn't resonate as much with that as I did with these podcasts and these stories that I was listening to. And so with that, I just sort of dove in head first and I started consuming stories and experiences and podcasts. And one of the, the switches that sort of flipped for me was that this isn't a choice. This isn't a sin. So why have I allowed to feel, why have I allowed myself to feel so much shame for so long when there's absolutely no reason to feel that? Part of the, the sorting through that happened at that time as well was I was still very actively pushing for a heteronormative marriage. That was my goal. That was what I thought God had envisioned for me. And in doing so, I mean, I, I have this quote here, but the church doesn't establish that expectation for LGBTQ members of the church, right? Within the, the life help section of the gospel library app, there's a quote from D. Todd Christofferson that says, we don't counsel people that heterosexual marriage is a panacea or a cure-all. You'll see in some of these experiences that are related on this site that it has been a successful experience in a few cases, or some have expressed the success they have found in marriage and in raising a family, and the joy and all that is filled out and blessed their lives as a consequence. But that we know is not always true, and it's not always successful. Sometimes it's, even, it's been even disastrous. And we think it's something that each person can evaluate, and they can discuss both with priesthood leaders and family and others and make decisions. But we simply don't take a uniform position of saying yes always or no always. Which, I mean, when, when you read that, that just seems so obvious. That seems like something that, especially growing up when I did, I should have known. But I still had that expectation for myself. I thought that God had that expectation for myself. And because it was so cut and dry, I never even turned to him and, and asked. I never sincerely knelt in prayer and asked if, if that was what he intended for me. And I mean, the verse that as I was sorting through this that then came to mind was from 3 Nephi 11. This is after the Savior has come down. This is as he is, is, he's just shared the gospel with the Nephites. And in verse 40, he says, and whoso shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation and the gates of hell stand open to receive such when the floods come and when the winds beat upon them. So, I mean, Richard, I don't, I don't want to victimize myself or anything like that, but that, that was my experience. I had set my faith towards this outcome and I was measuring my eternal progress by my progress towards a heteronormative marriage. I thought God expects this of me. The church expects this of me. This is, this is what progress looks like. This is what moving forward looks like. And that is again, not what the church teaches. That's not what that's not what God expected of me. 
And to set that sort of expectation and consider it to be a commandment or a law for myself personally, I like to consider myself a pretty happy person, but I definitely resonate with, with that warning. The gates of hell shall stand open to receive such. That was hell. That was miserable. Trying to measure myself, my own progress, my own eternal progress by standards that God did not want me to. And so again, it was, it was just this incredible moment when I made that connection and it was like a switch just flipped. I said, okay, then I'm looking at this wrong and and need to start sorting through it a little bit more. And so as I was listening to the podcast and started reading books, your book being on the list of, of those that I read and as such, I, I would highly recommend it to anyone listening. Um, I started coming out to friends and family members and my best friend was the first person that I came out to when I actually used the words, I'm gay. We went to lunch and, and intended to talk about it over lunch. And ironically, a coworker was sitting on the table next to us. So I was like, no, no, can't have this conversation here. So after we finished eating, we hopped in my car and, and I immediately told him and he just reached across and he gave me a giant hug and he said, my man, thank you so much for telling me. And we drove around Provo for a good hour and a half. That's cool. With me just unloading all of these concerns, all of these things that, that had just been weighing me down. And neither of us really knew how to sort through this, but I, I appreciated so much that he did listen. He didn't start trying to tell me what to do, how to sort through this, how to resolve this. He listened and he asked questions and he expressed his love for me. And that was everything that I needed in that moment. You have a lot of friends, Barry, and um, you probably knew something about this friend that you knew you could talk to him. Just talk to our listeners because people want to be that kind of friend so that they want to be in a position where someone like you would talk to them and he handled it great. Maybe you sensed he would, but just what? Anything there you can share with us? Absolutely. Um, I mean, with this this particular friend, it's pretty hard to do everything that he has done because we've been good friends or best friends since we were three years old. We grew up in the same ward. We wrote each other every single week of our missions that we overlapped almost exactly for the entire two years. Um, and so I, I would definitely say that he had been open with me in the experiences that he had had his, in his life. And I had reciprocated in that. Um, but there was that sense of trust there. There was that sense of, I can be vulnerable with this person. Um, and I knew that because again, he had been vulnerable with me and I valued that and, and was grateful for that. And so, I mean, I know that Brene Brown is becoming even more and more popular and, and vulnerability is a much more popular word, but I can't begin to overemphasize that. In my life, as, as I have shared with people my struggles and what I'm going through and talked about shame that I've experienced or difficult experiences, it gives them that space to reciprocate and both of us benefit because of how our relationship becomes deeper. It's great. So after that, I, I started to come out to my siblings and my other friends and while down the road, there, there have certainly been 
experiences that weren't as positive as others. I was very fortunate that there was great support and great reception um, among sort of that inner circle of, of friends and family members, if you will. And I'll even say multiple, multiple family members responded this way, but in particular, when I came out to one brother and sister-in-law, I was just so grateful for, for the way that they responded with love. Because to be honest, right, I'm 24 years old right now. I have no idea what my future looks like. And that's something that I openly acknowledge. Um, but as I, as I came out to them and I talked to them, they just communicated so clearly to me that it didn't matter where my life went. It didn't matter if I remained an active member of the church, if I left the church, if I was in a relationship with a woman or with a man, no matter what happened, they assured me that I was a member of this family and that they were always going to continue to love me. And as more and more family members extended that or, or explained that to me rather, that gave me the opportunity to sort through my relationship with God and my relationship with the church in a way that I wouldn't have been able to if I had to worry about losing my family as collateral damage if I left the church. And so them allowing me to sort through that and exercise my own agency brought me to the place where I was able to say, I do love my heavenly father and I do want to continue in the church right now. That is something that I want to do for me and not because my family, not because I feel like my family is forcing me to. And so I was, I was very fortunate in that. Um, one thing, one thing that happened then after that is I don't know if you're familiar, Richard, with, with Cass's model for the stages of coming out. There's like six not. different stages. I love this. Teach us about this. It's, I highly recommend, um, researching a little bit more. In fact, Ben and Charlie on, on their podcast questions from the closet, have an entire episode dedicated to it. So it is, it is great stuff. And, and essentially there's a stage that is called, I think it's identity pride. I might have to double check that, but the concept behind it is there's a stage when, when an LGBTQ individual no longer feels this sort of shame towards themselves and in that moment, many people begin to feel frustrated or lash out at the people or culture or organizations that they feel have oppressed them. And I'm sure that's an oversimplification of it, but essentially that's what we see a lot of times when, when people do feel more comfortable with themselves, that they, they do tend to lash out at those organizations that they feel are that cause them to feel that shame. And for me, I, when I, went through that. I did go through that stage. And I would say that it was different because I didn't lash out at God. As you mentioned from my Facebook post, I, I got in plenty of fights with God, but there was no point where I thought that he hated me or that I thought that um, he was angry with me or anything like that. I felt his love and I was confident of that. Um, but I, I was extremely frustrated with what we call colloquially the culture of the church right? Growing up in Utah Valley, despite, like I said, I had incredibly supportive parents, but this was just something that we never talked about. This was not a conversation that we had. And again, I, I am grateful for the ways that I have grown 
through adversity in my life. But I was frustrated at the amount of shame that I had experienced for absolutely no reason. And so that became sort of my crusade, if you will, was I decided that this is going to become a casual conversation in my life. This is going to become something that we can talk about more openly. And so, as you mentioned, I'm a student in Provo right now. I'm at BYU, live just south of campus. And so even though I'm out very publicly now, the question of dating is something that you still get asked once or twice a week in Provo. That is a very, very common thing. And I answer that by just casually saying, oh, I'm, I'm actually gay and I'm not dating right now. And it's so funny because for some people who are, are maybe more experienced with this conversation, with this topic, they're just able to respond, oh, okay. And then we just carry on with the conversation. And it's even similar for those who have absolutely no experience with this conversation. Because it's a more casual thing and no longer this sort of hushed and, and behind closed doors, it allows them to just sort of step into that space much more easily. And so that's that's been sort of my hope is, is that we can have these conversations that we can be much more open. And by doing that, that that shame that's, that's sort of attached itself to this conversation can begin to detach, can, can go away because this is, as you know, very well, this is something that's really common. This is not a rare life experience or, or occurrence inside or outside the church. And so that is something that I hope we can become better about just talking about casually in day-to-day conversations. Um, and that's really consistent with your Facebook post that we read, because it's not like you had two paragraphs of sort of um, sort of preparing your audience. It was just very factual. It was very, and I think there was, I could sense the, the way you'd worked through the shame that I don't think God created in you, that our culture created in you, that you're talking about. And the work you've done to get through that shame, um, but I think it's, I think it's great to just recognize that our culture has created shame about being a sexual minority or a gender minority. And I don't think that in this podcast we just often talk about things we can do within the doctrine of our church to improve. And I don't think anybody should feel shame for how they're created. Um, I think our doctrine would be actually that everybody should feel they're created in the image and likeness of God and who they are is who they're meant to be. And they should look in the mirror and think every part of them is desirable to God because they were created their image. I think that's how we're born. I don't think you were born with shame about your sexual orientation. I think culturally the words and the narrative and the feelings and the expression and the things we say, as you were hearing that and reconciling your own sexual orientation created the shame. And I think you've done a good job of navigating that. And and at 24, you're in a good spot. You know, you're not sitting here across the table at 44, 20 more years of navigating this. And that's one of the things I see as an improvement in where we're making progress is really people like you that are leading and willing to share your stories and which helps take the shame out of other people that are earlier in their journey. So that's very helpful for me. And I think our listeners, Barry, so I'll just keep talking. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I do want, you know, sometimes I write down things, listeners, so I'm going to jump back in before I turn it back is I love what your brother and sister-in-law said to you. Um, 
and I think they were pretty explicit about the paths you could take and just said, we love you and we'll support you. And I, I don't think listeners, that makes it more likely that Barry's going to take one path or another. I think it just helps him to know that there's this unconditional love and trust with close people in him. And I think it's almost barely, more likely Barry then will choose his path not as a reaction to how people are treating him or as a way to have to prove something, but he just feels the love of people saying, we'll walk with you as you make your way forward. Even if they opened that door and said, even if you feel your path is to marry a man, I don't think it's more likely you're going to marry a man because they said that. I think it's just more likely you're going to make thoughtful decisions and not out of a reaction to people in your circle and working with God to figure out your best path forward. I think as parents and as friends, we're nervous about saying that kind of stuff because we feel like maybe we're opening the door to something you've never considered, and now you're more likely to consider it. And I don't think that anymore. I think it just is a principle of keeping the family circle, love and support and trusting people that then they feel they can make their decisions that aren't a reaction to the circumstances around that might be more impulsive. I'm not a therapist, listeners, but that's just sort of my feeling on this space. So I'll turn it back to you, Barry. Well, I'd, I'd even love to speak to that. I completely agree with what you were just describing. I Personally, it, it didn't change the the path that I am on right now. But what it did give me is that sort of peace of mind behind the decisions that I have made. If we look at the exact same outcome, and for me right now, that is being an active member of the church. If my family and friends hadn't communicated that to me, I would likely still be an active member of the church. But as I'm analyzing why I am doing the things that I'm doing, as I'm sort of figuring that out for myself, I don't get to have the peace of mind of knowing that I am doing this for myself as easily. There's always going to be that lingering concern. Am I doing this because they expect me to? Am I doing this because I'm afraid I'm going to lose them if I choose another path? But because they made that so clear, because they explained that, um, it allows me to recognize I am doing this because I want to. I am doing this because this is the space where I want to be. That's great. So thank you for, for your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'd love you to, you know, anything else you want to share? I'd love you to talk about things you've learned since you've coming out you'd like to share. Absolutely. Or anything before that. Absolutely. Um, one, one of my favorite things, and yeah, I, I would probably have to say this is my favorite thing that I have learned since coming out. I once spent probably a few weeks studying verses in the scripture scriptures that we typically associate with marriage. And Ben Shalati has talked about this and on their podcast and in his book and everything. And he focused in on what it means for him personally to multiply and replenish the earth, how he goes about acting on that as a single gay Latter-day Saint. And so that really inspired me to dive into those scriptures and, and see what meaning I could find as well. And one scripture that really stuck out to me was Genesis 2.18. And I don't have it in front of me, but it's in the King James Version. It's along the lines of, um, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will create an help meet for him. 
And I studied that verse in, in several different versions in English and in Spanish and help me is, is sometimes rendered in English as companion in Spanish. It's actually rendered as the ideal help. Um, and sort of just describes this ideal companion that helps to meet our needs. And my favorite is in the new English translation, there's a translator's note within that version of the Bible that explains why they chose the word companion. And the, the note says traditionally helper, the English word helper, because it can connote so many different ideas does not accurately convey the connotation of the Hebrew word ezer. Usage of the Hebrew term does not suggest a subordinate role, a connotation which English helper can have. In the Bible, God is frequently described as the helper. And I want to emphasize this. The one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The one who meets our needs. And I found that so interesting because in the context of this verse, they're talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden. And they're talking about how he cannot fulfill this commandment to multiply and replenish the earth by himself, which physically, and, and again, that's what the interpretation that we typically have for that verse. Physically, that's pretty obvious, right? Adam cannot fulfill that commandment to multiply and replenish the earth by himself. Eve can also not fulfill that commandment by herself. And so that idea that God gave a commandment and then he provided Adam and Eve with someone who could help them fulfill that commandment. I thought that's a really interesting principle. And so then I started turning to the, other, the rest of the scriptures and thinking, does this happen anywhere else? Are there any other examples where God gives a commandment that someone cannot fulfill by themselves and then provides them with the person or individual that can help them fulfill that commandment? And the long story short, Richard, on that is that is much more the rule than the exception. Interesting. As we dive in, some of my favorite examples, I mean, next going chronologically is, is Moses and Aaron, right? Moses was commanded to go back to Egypt, to go back to Pharaoh and to free the Israelites. And one of his concerns was that he was slow of speech. And the scriptures explain both in the, the Old Testament and also in the Book of Mormon that God provided Aaron to be Moses' spokesman so that he could fulfill that commandment, so that he could free the Israelites from bondage. Moving forward, this one is actually my favorite. I'll, I'll probably end up saying that about all of these, but Alma and Amulek. Alma had gone to Ammonihah. He had attempted to preach to the people there, and he had been thrown out. And he was on his way to preach in another city when the angel appeared to him and told him to go back and preach. And so he comes back and, and he meets almost immediately on entering the city, Amulek, who takes him into his house and feeds him. And, and eventually they become these missionary companions. And when Alma starts testifying to the people again that they need to repent or the city is going to be destroyed, they're ready to throw him out again. They're ready to cast him out of the city for the second time. And that is when Am Amulek steps forward and then adds his testimony. And it says in, in those chapters, that they marveled that there was more than one witness. So again, just this, and we could go through, and I mean, there's Joseph Smith during the translation of the, the gold plates being given scribes so that he could complete his work. 
And just going through, I mean, in the Old Testament and New Testament and Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl Great Price, and in just our, our own lives, this principle just over and over and over, we see it fulfilled. Um, and so that's something that's given me a lot of hope because as I look at my life, Heavenly Father knows my needs better than I do. And whatever those may be, I can have that hope and look forward to the fact that he is going to provide me the people that I need in order to fulfill commandments, needs, wants, whatever it may be. That's some um, really good insights. I love um, one of the things you're doing and I think is great for all of us to do is, is to look to the scriptures for personal revelation. And sometimes it's LGBTQ Latter-day Saints would at first blush say, well, there's no LGBTQ stories. So why would I turn to the scriptures for insights into my road as a gay Latter-day Saint? But I love, that's one of the things I do love also about Ben and Charlie and how, they're, how their personal journeys and and what you've learned in your own journey. And I, I think what I'm hearing is, you know, a feeling that you're not meant to be alone and, um, and you use these examples and a trusting in God that that I don't quite know how that's going to work, but I will put my trust in God that my needs and wants and my life mission will will happen. I just don't quite know how that's going to happen. Is that fair? Absolutely. And I mean, I joke with with my friends and family at least somewhat often that as a missionary and as a college student, I have planned almost every single day for the last five or six years of my life. And not a single time have I ever planned a 24 hour period correctly or accurately. Something always ha happens that we can't anticipate. And so it's funny to me that for so long, I had planned the next 40 years of my life and was terrified that anything would even slightly deviate from that plan. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I had planned a temple marriage, a heteronormative temple marriage, and my life was not going to look any different. But as I've, as I've really wrestled with these concepts and, and sought to understand more, I have a lot more hope looking towards the future and saying, that's probably not in my path. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I just don't know. And I don't need to know right now. Coming back to this, I love this idea that, I mean, to go, to go back to this, ministering is something else that fits into this principle, right? We are so blessed as we minister to other people. It takes more than one person to minister. It takes someone to do the ministering and someone to receive it. And so all of these, these commandments and these structures within the church, within the gospel, I should, I should say, help us to turn towards each other and help us to rely on each other. And so... However that looks for me moving forward in the future, I love that concept that Zion is this place where we may disagree on, on certain concepts or ideas, but we still turn to, towards each other and support and love and fill each other's needs. It's really um, very helpful. I, I wrote down earlier in the podcast, Barry, this is what progress looks like. And this is where you're talking, I think sometimes... Growing up in the church, we have these known outcomes, and we're very outcome-focused, Eagle Scouts, duty to God, mission, um, receiving our endowment in the temple. And it's it's a very—and all of that is good. 
Um, and so I think we continue with that sort of outcome-focused relationship with our church and with our and our own journeys. And sometimes focusing that becomes almost a tra- it, it becomes perhaps just I don't know what the words are, but I think you're helping us understand that you know the outcome here is coming closer to God, coming closer to our Savior, receiving personal revelation for our future, but being at peace that there's outcomes that may be like this heteronormative marriage that just may be outside of the circle of your control ever to make possible in your life. And, and sort of living with the, the reality of that and just saying, my life is not going to be defined by just certain outcomes. My life's going to be defined by coming into Christ and, and doing the best I can. I'm kind of trying to paraphrase, but I think it's a transition that you've gone through from that we all go through a little bit and that you had maybe had to go through it earlier because this heteronormative marriage, it would be your next outcome for, and for most missionaries is within their control, return missionaries is sort of without your control. And I love the way you set that up with Elder Christofferson. So that's helpful. I think. Um, I'm also thinking of Alma and Amulek are tender for me because um, I think part of that story is then once they did the wonderful things you talked about, they split up um, and Amulek went back to his home. But I think Alma became aware that he was suffering. And I think he went back to his missionary companion. And it's just sort of to your point, you know, they still met each other's needs um, in a later chapter of that story. If I've got that right, listeners, I don't claim to be a, a 100% no, no, that's, that's exactly correct. After Amulek was also cast out of Ammonihah. It talks about how Alma brought him into his own home That's in Zarahemla. Right. And so absolutely, it just goes right along, right along with that concept of first Amulek was the one who was able to meet Alma's needs. And then Alma was able to reciprocate later in their relationship. Um, more things you'd like to share. I have some questions for you, but I want to make sure we get through everything you'd like to share. Talk about, um, on your Facebook page, you also talked about what happened at UVU and the seminar that was put on there. And then Sister Alberto um, talking about that in her Facebook post about the LGBTQ seminar that happened at UVU. But just introduce our listeners, because I think those sort of things help us understand what we can do on the local level. If you've got Sister Alberto sort of giving you air cover or what's going on there, that seems like there's a lot of air cover for local leaders to do similar things. So introduce our listeners to what happened there. Absolutely. So starting in June of this year, it's been a long year, so I have to double check on that. But June of 2021, we were able to have a three-part workshop at the Utah Valley Institute. So it was three weeks in a row where we had different speakers or groups just addressing. And and the official title is the LGBTQ plus and allies workshop. And so for our first one, we were able to have Ben come and share his story. It sounds like you're involved in this. When you say we, were you helping put, put this together? The credit for that has to go to the Institute instructor and, and one of the young adults who have done so much of the work, but I am definitely grateful that I've been able to volunteer and, and assist in any of the side needs that that have come up. Um, but it has been a wonderful group and it's just been this wonderful space. We actually, so we had the, those first ones back in June 
And the plan right now is three workshops about every four months. So the next set were in September. And we that was when we were able to have Sister Roberto come and address us. And then we're planning right now for the next set in February to the beginning of March. So stay tuned because I'll, I'll send you some information on that. But it's, it's just yeah. this incredible space because we are able to address, again, this topic that we don't talk about very widely within our, our individual units often um, to be able to come and meet with other LGBTQ plus members of the church and allies and talk about our experience within the, the framework of the gospel in a very faith filled environment. And so sister Roberto came in and shared the message that she had for LGBTQ individuals and their families. We were also able, like I said, the first round we had Tom Christoph or we had Tom Christopherson, the second round, the first round we had Ben Shalati and Alec Barrow and his family. And, and so it's just been this wonderful space where people are able to come share their stories. And then there's usually Q and a, or things like that to just allow everyone to interact more on this topic. If there's local leaders listening, and I think a lot of local leaders want to do something, but they don't want to get ahead of the brethren. They don't want to have members in their wards or stakes or institutes or whatever circles sort of think they've gone renegade. Um, but I think their good hearts recognize that I want to talk about this in my ward stakes. What advice, after seeing this at UVU and your own personal journey, what advice do you have for people that want to put together something? That is a great question. I think the the basis for it is reaching out to LGBTQ individuals and asking them to share their stories. Um, it's even better if it's someone from within our own ward and stake because it's someone that we know. It's someone that we've interacted with. The church has also provided materials within the Gospel Library app um, that really have that really resolve a lot of the concerns that I think have been concerns for the last 20, 30, 40 years and beyond that regarding this topic about, is this a sin? Is this a choice? What, what does activity in the church look like? What do, um, what does it look like to be an active member? And then also what should it look like moving forward? What are the expectations, if you will? And so sort of just hammering home those basic concepts it's something that that's answered a lot of times within the first five to 10 minutes of a conversation with an LGBTQ member of the church, but it's something that a lot of people haven't had yet. They haven't had exposure to those questions and those conversations. And so to come back to the original question, Richard, I would say those Q and a type of events where an LGBTQ member can share their experience within the framework of the gospel, be that positive or negative, And then also, answering those those basic clarifying questions that the answers are within our gospel library app already for so many of them. Well, I think it's a home run answer. Um, I get asked listeners to speak sometimes, and I usually try to defer, encourage an LGBTQ member to speak, because that's how my heart changed. My heart, maybe allies could have changed my heart, but it had when I had priestly responsibility for a couple of gay men, and listen to their story. That's the beginning of my journey to be where I am today. And so I think your invitation to have LGBTQ members speak and even find LGBTQ members in their own community, the ward, the stake, the institute is even better because these are people people know. And it's really healing to them and helpful to this part about them is 
you know, somehow helping create Zion in their circle of influence. It's a good thing about them that's helping us create Zion versus this thing they've had to feel so much shame about in their circles, church service. I know Alec Barrows that you reference has been on the podcast felt that way when his stake was asked him to speak about his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint in a training meeting, I believe. Um, so I love that answer. And I think listeners, I agree with Barry that just using church content from the, from the resources you mentioned on the church's website is often very helpful because a lot of members don't know what the church is teaching um, because the church has changed what we teach on this subject. And sometimes we don't just have a conference talk that says, this is what we used to teach. This is what we now teach. So, you know, reprogram everything. We sometimes aren't quite as that direct. I don't know why. And so I'm 60. There's certainly a lot of things that I picked up that I, as I started to read five to seven years ago, what the church was teaching, like this isn't a choice and you can't choose it was a big one. Um, then it all, then it was very helpful to me. So the, there's a lot of things you can do that just using church resources that are just so helpful. I, I would even add on that, Richard, an, an experience that I had around the same time as my Facebook post. I, I was out before that post went up. The post was really to advertise sort of those workshops at UVU. I'm not much of a social media person myself. So it was my excuse to, to share that with my friends on Facebook. But about that same time, I was asked by my bishop um, to give a, a sacrament talk. And the topic that I was assigned was trusting Heavenly Father. And as I mentioned, one of my biggest things is I want this to be more casual. I want us to be able to address this, especially when it's relevant. And in sharing our experiences at church and how we've come to, to live and learn the gospel, I don't see how it, it could be more relevant to that. And so I texted my bishop and asked him, would you be comfortable if I share some of my experiences as a gay Latter-day Saint in, in talking about this for my sacrament talk? Not trying to not trying to force it, not trying to do anything. And and he said, absolutely, I would I would love it if you would do that. And so the next it was the next day I actually got the call for that sacrament talk at ten thirty the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Gave it on on the Sunday, um, and it was it was a very vulnerable thing still, even though it's something that I'm comfortable talking about. But what changed for me, even though I had plenty of friends in that ward and it was, it was just a good ward in Provo with a great bishopric, after I'd had that experience of, of sharing just a snippet of my story with them and how it related to my conversion and my testimony, I immediately felt safer. I felt more welcome and I felt like they actually knew me more authentically, more genuinely. And my entire experience going to that ward improved. Not that it was negative before that or anything like that, but just as we're able to share more openly, I, th I think that's sort of the point of this concept of the gospel in Zion. And so absolutely, anytime we can extend opportunities to LGBTQ members of the church to be able to participate in that, I think everyone has benefited. How would it have made you felt if that bishop had said, it's not appropriate to talk about your sexual orientation at church? Oh, <laughs> Going to church would have been hard. I, as I've mentioned, I, I love the gospel. I love going to church and partaking in the sacrament every week. But I think if that had been the feedback that I had received, 
that my bishop was not comfortable with me being genuine and sharing my experiences, then I would have stopped sharing my experiences. I would have gone to church and contributed nothing but the bare minimum because I wouldn't have felt safe in that environment anymore. I thought you'd say that. It's a simple thing, and I think that what your bishop intuitively did or had some training was perfect. And the impact on you and the impact on the ward was terrific. And um, I think a lot about belonging. It's a word you've used, and um, the church is using that word a lot more right now. But Bernay Brown, you know, we use this quote a lot, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming something you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And you are doing that, and it's healing and hopeful, and it connects you better with God, I believe, and with yourself. And if a congregation can be supportive and this part of you is accepted and actually needed in the community, um, to me, that's creating Zion. I think about elders, Elder Ballard's talk sometimes, listeners, from 2014 of Stay in the Boat. I think a lot about that talk because I think most actually want to stay in the boat. They actually, I did a Twitter poll a couple times. I've done this Twitter poll. If you're in a faith crisis and an active Latter-day Saint, is your desire to stay in the church or leave? And both Twitter polls had over 85% say, I want to stay, want to authentically find a way to stay. And so sometimes then that caused me to look inward and say, what can I do to create a bigger boat? Um, so that more people will stay. And I think about the city of Enoch sometimes, and I think about what we know about why that city was translated. And um, I don't know everything, but I know that there was no poor among them. But I don't know if they were translated because they're all the same. Don't know if they were translated because they all had the same political beliefs about whatever issues were going on in their community, but they they were translated because they were unified. And Elder Renlund gave a beautiful talk about unity and diversity and finding common ground and seeing each other's same human family. So I think we can do a lot culturally to create a bigger boat so that more feel what you feel and what your bishop did for you that day and what you're doing. And I get tenderhearted listeners because I love our church and I love our restored doctrine and I love how it can heal people. And part of being able to take advantage of our restored doctrine is to be able to feel welcome in the boat. So, and a feeling of belonging. But then perhaps the most important is what LGBTQ Latter-day Saints can teach us about the gospel of Jesus Christ and their contributions to help create Zion. So there's some thoughts for you listeners (laughs) that I think about on my long morning walks. Barry, I'll turn it back to you. What else is on your mind? Barry is a man, most of my guests can, you know, Barry's not a man that needs to continue to talk. He said what he needs to say. Uh, talk about your future. A lot of people say, well, what do you think if you're 24? And uh, do people ask you a lot about your future? Or how do you handle that? Or what do you know about your future? What's the best thing we can do to support you? Thank you for the question. I obviously spend a lot of time thinking about what the future looks like because I still have concerns and I have worries and I have fears. A lot of people will ask, okay, so 
why aren't you dating a woman? Why aren't you dating a guy? Why don't you find a lesbian woman who has a similar experience and, and just get married to her because you would have all this shared life experience. And, and again, that's great. Is, is, you know, I've heard many more creative things, but we'll probably <laughs> leave, leave it at that. Um, and, and to people who are in those relationships, good for them. Yeah. I, I do hope they're happy. I very sincerely hope that for there's them. Grace. And I, I don't think awesome. that there's, again, this, as, as the word that Elder Christofferson used in that quote, I don't think there's this panacea. I don't think there's this one track that works for everyone. And I personally don't know what the track is that will work for me. Um, I am, I'm very hopeful and I'm very awesome, optimistic at the same time that I still have those, those worries and fears. And so right now it's, it's just continuing to seek revelation for how and where and and anything else God would have me live. It's a great answer. Talk to another question just popped in my brain. Talk to younger closeted high school aged LGBTQ people. What would you say to them? And they may reach out to you, since you're out and ask for advice, but just talk to those that aren't, haven't told a single soul and they're just sort of trying to figure this out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And this whole podcast has talked to them. So you've already blessed them, but just talk to them directly. Yeah. Well, I, I actually had the chance about a month ago or so, as you mentioned, I went to Timpanogos High School in Utah Valley, and I had the chance recently to go to their feast, which is sort of a weekly devotional they have during lunch, and share my story. And, and it was brief, but that's cool. It, it, as I'm talking to those those high school kids, I definitely remember. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that I was in their exact same place. I was terrified to even begin to sort through my orientation. It was something that I postponed and I buried and I pushed away and, and did anything that I could to avoid actually thinking about it. And so to individuals who, who are confronting that, who are reconciling that, who are sorting through that, um, on the one hand, I would just stress how much happier my life has been since I became more authentic and, and, Specifically, I'm talking about since I started coming out to my family and friends. Um, it has allowed me to be more vulnerable with them and, again, for them to reciprocate. And our relationships have become richer as a result. A lot of people ask if you could go back and, and come out as a high school student or as a missionary, would you? And it's just so impossible to answer that question because... There are so many things that I do love about when I chose to came out. I didn't come out until I did sort of sort through that shame and, and get rid of as much of it as possible. Um, and I'm really happy that I waited until I was in a, a good, healthy, positive place before I started that conversation with my loved ones. But I do also think back to as I was serving on the mission, I was in a small town and northern central Washington and we were knocking doors and came across a gentleman who opened the door and he was probably in his mid fifties or something like that. And he explained that we had no interest in teaching him. And as young missionaries, we were sort of baffled by that response. We're like, what do you think we're doing out here knocking doors in (laughs) central Washington? Of course we want to talk to you and, and teach you about the gospel. And he explained to us that he was a a gay man and that there was no place for him in Christian churches. 
And we set up and we assured him that that wasn't the case. And we set up a return appointment. And unfortunately, he just never opened the door again. We never got to talk to him again. And so I do think about that. I think about how wonderful would it be if I could go back and I could say openly and honestly, there is a place for you in this church. And that's still something that we're working on. It's, it's not like we've completely finished that, that trail, if you will. Um, but that, that broke my heart that he would not hear a word that we said, not because of any concerns about the doctrine regarding Christ or the restoration or anything like that. It was because he didn't think that he would ever belong in our church. And so going back, what would I say to, to high school kids? Um, I mean, the first is, is to talk to heavenly father to start through the, that process of, of loving ourselves. And as we move from that, th this is where I'm, I'm very biased, Richard, because I am incredibly blessed with the, the support that I have from friends and family. But I believe very deeply that all of our perspectives add value in the gospel. And for every individual that is silent and not sharing their perspective because of the shame or guilt or anything that they may be experiencing in, in deciding whether or not to come out, I think we're lesser without that perspective. And so I wish that everyone could be in a place where they, where they came out. And I recognize that that's different for every individual in every situation. And so there's no blanket answer to that. I just hope that they can reach that place because we will be blessed as more people feel comfortable coming out, sharing their stories and their perspectives. It's really great advice. And um, I think listeners, one of the things about this podcast I say is, you know, and I think Barry would say the same thing. Don't take Barry's story and make it your story. You've got to write your own story, but listen to all these stories and the principles and the insights and the personal revelation to better write your story. And, and if you feel like it's not your time to come out and you're older than Barry, you're 24, aren't you? And for some reason you're less authentic or you're not owning this and you're 30 listening to Barry at 24 and now you're feeling shame and guilt, don't. Um, Barry wouldn't want you to feel that way. You've got to do this on your own times and your own situation is probably, could be different. You could be living in a foreign land right now or coming out's illegal, so to speak, and could put you in trouble with your own government. So. You've got to use the principles that Barry's sharing that are scalable to your situation. A lot of those principles, like Barry shared with us, are in the scriptures. Um, just those very scripture stories that gave you insights and the principles, um, faith-based principles to make your way forward. I'm thinking of that guy. Um, sometimes in this Facebook group, we have full-time missionaries serving, and they want to signal to, because they're on Facebook, they want to signal that they're an ally. <laughs> and so one of them put their pride flag in their Facebook profile and as a missionary, and their zone leader asked them to take it down. And they talked in the Facebook group, and the Facebook group says, well, put your pronouns in there, he, him, she, her, because that's, a, that's maybe for those that are LGBTQ, that's a soft way to signal that you're an ally. So there's things that missionaries are trying to do that are really, I'm interested in what they're trying to do because they want to take the gospel just like you did. You, It's interesting. I hope listeners picked up your elder Donaghy at that point. You set up a return appointment. You didn't 
just get weirded out that you tracked that of a gay guy and said, we're not going to go back. You're, you wanted to go back and talk about the gospel. And I think that's true of most missionaries would. Um, we did a podcast recently with a gay convert and the missionaries, when he came out as gay, they just loved him. You know, it didn't change anything. And so I think our gospel is for LGBTQ people. And I think missionaries get that and want to take the gospel to LGBTQ people, but they sometimes need to sig- signal that's where social media can in missions where social media is available. I think we'll see some progress there where, um, gosh, if that guy saw he, him in your profile, you might think twice about accepting that return appointment. I don't know. It's just an idea to listeners. And I'm not saying that's what we should do church wide and put our pronouns. Everybody's got to figure out the best way they can signal they're an ally and, um, and do that the best way that works for them. So there's just a, we, I think Barry and I joint prayers that the things that Barry shared and any insights added will help you as an ally, as a local leader. Um, I do, you know, it is an Institute director at UVU that put that together. So I think we're learning how to talk about this in the walls of our church, which is so needed. And I think it's part of creating Zion. Um, any, so Barry, you, you are the non-shame guy as you just talk about your story. You're doing this just like it's, it's the way I think it should be. Um, you own this a part about you. You're not embarrassed about this part of you. Um, I think it's something that you're, as you've talked about, it helps us all to just, you're in a really good spot at 24 and credit to you for the work that you've done to get you in this spot. And you haven't gone through 20 more years of internalized homophobia and sort of the, the impact of your, on your soul of that, that I've seen sometimes in other people. So you talking about this helps others and we're making progress. So thank you, Barry. Any final thoughts, Barry Donaghy? No, thank you so much, Richard, for having me. And, and yes, all of, all of the comments and principles that you just shared, I am 100% in agreement and grateful for you. So this is Barry Donaghy and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>